In this very room There's quite enough love For all the world And in this very room There's quite enough joy For all the world And there's quite enough love And quite enough power To walk through our every fear For spirit One spirit Is in this very room In this very room In this very so I invite you to allow my words to be your words in this moment. I recognize the one life, this divine presence. I am so grateful for that presence, for all of the beautiful teachers, spiritual guides, for all of the workers of light, the angels, the saints, whatever it may be, but that unseen realm of goodness of vibrancy, that energetic of love. I'm so grateful for the words spoken and sung this morning in support of that this space that we create together today collectively holds the weight of the divine. And in that, something beautiful, powerful, and deep that reconnects us in a more immediate fashion with our true self. So I invite you to settle in as I settle in myself. Become present and aware in this moment that there is only one life, the source of all life. That life is God. That life is whatever you call it, the divine, the spirit, the supreme unseen force for good. Whatever vocabulary you use, God is God. Life, intelligence, wisdom, whatever it may be, it is so benevolent and beautiful gracious and wise that it simply says yes it is its nature and so I give thanks to stand with you in the celebration of this to stand in this unique and beautiful community and know that something powerful and beautiful is being given birth here and now for this I give thanks knowing this day is blessed in every good way inspired in gratitude by all the service that I've witnessed this morning and in days past in service to God in service to love in service to beauty in service to the possibilities that all of us have the opportunity to give birth to. For this I give thanks and invite you to say with me, and so it is. Beautiful song this morning. Thank you, ladies. Thank you, Anna. We really had a wonderful uh, memorial yesterday for uh, Westland Mather. Westland is near and dear to me. Um, she made her transition, and she was the board chair when I came here. And uh, one of the things I want to acknowledge, we had an incredible amount of people that came out in service. It was phenomenal, the support we had, because we had to move things around. We actually had to, to uh, postpone the teens' uh, lock-in um, retreat and uh, that's been rescheduled. They were gracious enough to do that. I, uh, I uh, miscalculated and d- didn't realize they were having the retreat and it wouldn't work for Anyway, it was just amazing, the, the help and support that we had yesterday. So if you were here in support of that yesterday, I thank you from the bottom of my heart. It brought me to uh, a deep sense of gratitude. And uh, 
So I, I stand before you today in that, that awareness. So we've been having this beautiful discussion with the Divine Matrix of Greg, Greg Braden's book. Um, and the, <clears throat> this week is the reflection of the moment. And Dr. Ernest Holmes, actually Greg quotes Dr. Ernest Holmes at the beginning of this chapter, chapter 7. Dr. Holmes is quoted as saying, Life is a mirror and reflects back to the thinker what he thinks into it. So simple, isn't that? But so difficult to manage at times because then when life, when things show up in our lives that we, we think are unfair, how is that a mirror? And I, I really love the, the, the um, and I'm very fond of what he has to say about this because I think it's very insightful. So I have a picture of a, of a, a cat looking into a mirror there. I'm, I like that one. It also ties into a story that Greg Braden uh, starts out this chapter with. So key number 19, because he's got 20 keys in this beautiful book. And 19 is our true beliefs are mirrored in our most intimate relationships. Our true beliefs are, are mirrored in our most intimate relationships. And so there are five ancient mirrors that I'm going to touch on today. Um, and if you're really interested, I would highly recommend the, uh, that you have that book in your library because it's quite fascinating. I've always, I've always, there was some great clarity that came to me in doing this work because many times I'll see things in life and I'll say, well, you know, we've always heard that it's, people are mirroring back things to us and then you'll see something horrific and then it's kind of confusing. It's like, well, how is that? That's not me. You know, you'll read of a, a story of someone murdering someone or something really Horrible, and you think, "What? Well, that's not me." And so he really goes into some insightful wisdom here about how that that mirror, uh, how we relate to that mirror. So anyway, the five ancient mirrors are reflections of the moment. So what's happening right now? The second one is what we judge in the moment. Excuse me, what we have lost, the mirror of what we have lost, given away, or have taken from us, the mirror of our dark night of the soul. The dark, it said, I have dark soul of the night. How, isn't that interesting? And the mirror of our greatest acts of compassion. So he tells the story of this, this uh, friend of his. He's not allowed to have any pets in his apartment. He's living in Denver and he's working for a, uh, a defense company. And a friend says, hey, I've got this little kitten. Would you like to see this little kitten? And of course, against the rules of his... His, uh, and I've got a picture of his kitten right there. That's Tigger. So this little blonde uh, red cat shows up and says, um, and he just falls in love with the cat. And so he decides he's going to keep the cat, but he's going to train the cat so the cat's not in the window so the people that manage the facility aren't going to evict him or make him get rid of the cat. And so he trains the cat to be, stay off of the window sills and stay off the counters and they're working great. And everything's working great. Remember, he's around the cat's always laying low and staying off the furniture and all these rules. And then he says, as time goes by, I come home from work or a little earlier than I typically have. I've got the cat trained. And all of a sudden, the cat's up on the countertop. And the cat wakes up when he comes in and jumps down and goes back and sits in its normal place. And so he notices that, so he's trying to figure this out and he hides one day. He pretends he's leaving and he hides behind the curtain and he watches as soon as he goes out the door. The cat just walks over and hops back up and lays down and gets comfortable next to the toaster on the countertop. And he's like really annoyed. This cat, he's like, is this cat actually doing this when I'm not here? I mean, we have this agreement. And this cat is doing this. So finally he said, he, and so... As time goes by, pretty soon every time he comes in, 
the cat is on the countertop. And after a while, the cat just lifts his head and looks at him and puts his head back down and does what he's doing. And, and so he's realizing this cat is a mirror, not only of, of something happening in his life, something going on, but also he notices that at, at work. In fact, he's in charge of people at work and he's asking people to do things. And people are like, go away and leave me alone. I'm doing my job. I don't need this. And he, he's sort of trying to manage people well as he thinks he should. And he realized that what the cat was showing him, what the people at work were mirroring for him, is his need for control. That he had to control these things. And he realized once he became aware of the need to control and how it was triggering him, because cats, anybody here ever had a cat? You know the saying, herd a cat, or herd cats? I mean, they have a mind of their own. And cats, cat, the cat was being what a cat does. But he realized his need to control and the, the need to control people at, at work as well. So it was everywhere in his life. And as soon as he came to the awareness, he was, he was able to identify the negative pattern, the charge he had on this idea of control. And he, he recognized it in the moment. And recognizing it in the moment, all of a sudden it shifted and changed for him a bit. But fascinating. So he uses that example, that illustration of, of how important it is to pay attention to things that are triggering us or, or hooking us in the moment. Then he moves on to the, re, the reflections of what, or, or the reflections of what we judge. Um, the second one is what we judge in the moment. And this is a really interesting story he writes about in the book. There's three people in his life that he brings in, and one guy is a uh, helping him with a property he owns. He set this relationship up so he would manage the property. While he was traveling, he was starting to go out and do seminars. So he had this man that was taking care of a property, and he, as a result of his compensation, was he got a free place to live in one of the properties that they were remodeling. He also had a relationship with a woman that was interested in doing the same kind of work he was doing, launching his book and going and doing seminars with people. And then he had another person that was managing, another man that was managing his schedule with the seminars. And he would do the, he would make sure he, his flights were booked and his accommodations were in place and, and the checks were showing up for the, the seminars that he'd done. And he had kind of a funny feeling about it, but he didn't really address it. He sort of ignored it. And he said, lo and behold, he came in, he flew into New Mexico where he was living. And it's a five-hour drive from the airport to his home. And he went to the ATM to get some money to pay for gas to get home. And he stuck his card in and there was zero balance. There was no money in the account. And he thought, wow, must be a banking error. So he, he didn't even have 20 bucks, he said, to pull out of the account. And he was expecting quite a bit of money to be sitting there. So he thought, well, he made it home, made it to five hours, and he went down to the bank the next day, and sure enough, not only didn't he have any money, he was, he was in the negative because of the bank charges, and he'd written checks to people to start remodeling his house, and he was fulfilling all these obligations, and there was no money. All these checks were going to be non-sufficient funds. And so it turned out, it was, when it's at the bank, that the woman that he had partnered with, his business partner that had the same interest he thought, uh, had cleaned out his accounts. And she wasn't around. She was nowhere to be found. Can you imagine somebody doing that? And so he realized, he was, he was kind of shocked, and he thought, hmm. And he was walking around town, and he went into one of the shops there, and there was a, a Native American man that was doing a, a carving as he walked in. And he told him, his, he was close to this guy, and he was processing, of course, and, and uh, he mentioned to the guy what had happened. And he said, oh, he said, yeah. He said, let me tell you a story about that. He said, I had a, 
a buffalo head from my uh, great-grandfather. It was priceless. And it was this beautiful buffalo head. And this woman, this woman I knew said, I'm, I'm opening a shop. I would love to borrow the buffalo head and hang it in my shop. And it would be a beautiful piece and, and it would fit in with the theme and the decor. And he said, certainly, I'll loan this to you. It's you know, very precious to me. It's from my grandfather. And uh, so sure enough, he goes down to see the shop that's open and there's nobody in the shop. There's nothing in the shop. It's empty, all boarded up, locked up. And the woman had disappeared with the buffalo head. And Greg Brayton said, well, what did you do? And he said, I didn't do anything. She has to live with what she did. And he thought, hmm, isn't this interesting? And so, what he, so, so he started working with this. And he realized that it wasn't these people were, because he said what these people were demonstrating What these people were demonstrating was a violation of honesty, integrity, truth, and trust. And he thought, is that me? Why, you know, everything's a mirror and all these relationships should be my mirror and you can go there. You know, if we're responsible for everything in our lives, how is this mirrored in my life? Where am I participating? If we're all connected and consciousness prevails, then what's going on? And he said, what I realized, what brought them into my life was my judgment of them. So we stay hooked in life through love, or through a, a, just as strong a feeling in, on the other end of the spectrum, which could be hatred or anger. So thus, you know, when we're, when we're upset about something and we can be very justified in it, he said what he realized, he went down and he talked to people about this and he could have pursued the woman that took all the money and he could have gone after all, because the guy that was, additionally, so the guy that was setting up his seminars, all of a sudden he started looking at the expenses and the expenses roll out of whack. So he brought this guy into his life, and then he found out the guy that was renting or living in one of his buildings as compensation for taking care of the properties was doing some activities there. He didn't name them in the book, but he said they were frowned upon by the authorities. So he had all three of these people going on in his life. They're all in this violation of trust and integrity. And he started looking at the mirror of that, and he realized the judgment he had about all of that. And he said, as soon as I put down the judgment and the frustration and the anger I had about it, they started to move away. And he said, I did nothing. I put it down, I did nothing. I didn't pursue it. He said it would have taken me months to go to court and, and, and sue and try and get back what probably wouldn't be there anyway at the end of it. But it was a very valuable lesson for him about the mirror of judgment. We did the memorial yesterday, as I mentioned, and a, a man, I was, you know, and I'm, we're all running around here multitasking. You know, we don't have a, we don't have, I mean, it's so beautiful with all the volunteers helping with chairs and, and the setup in the back and, and Anna's music was just uh, wonderful. I know Les was with, was with us yesterday and, and great celebration. But a fellow approached me. I was at the sound booth. Bill had to take off. He had a gig to do. And it was later. And we had a little reception here afterwards. So we moved a lot of the chairs. And there were refreshments for the, those that attended. And I was up there trying to figure out how to get sound on. We had a DVD. We were trying to get sound on. I'm playing with the, the board back there like I know what I'm doing. And uh, this guy comes up to me, never met him before, and he says, what kind of church is this? This is after the service. What kind of church is this? And I said, well, we're Christian and more. <laughs> and he says, well, what's the more? And I said, well, we honor all paths to God. And he said, well, I am an evangelical Christian. And I said, well, that's fantastic. We would honor that too. And he said, well, do you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And I said, well... Do you believe Jesus was a prophet? I mean, he wasn't even going to let me answer. And I said, we do believe he was a prophet, an amazing teacher. 
Son of God? Yeah, of course Jesus was the Son of God, but we're all the sons and daughters of God, aren't we? Well, it's through the blood of Jesus. And I said, I think it's through the love of Jesus. And I said, what we teach is that Jesus was not the great exception. He was a great example. And we're all called to, to try and live a Christ-like life. And then he, he said, and I don't know, he said something else. And I said, well, I'll catch you in heaven later on, you know. <laughs> but I got to tell you, I thought, so the, let me step over here for a minute. The part of me, the judgment part of me, wanted to call the guys out of the back room, the imaginary guys I have in the back room, and <laughs> toss them out, right? And then I'm doing this work, and I think, oh, my gosh, what's alive in me that has brought that into my experience? And, of course, it's my judgment of it. So I realized, do I want to keep bringing this in? I get an opportunity now to drain that and dissolve that. And to realize, and I'm so blessed. I was so blessed that I had enough vocabulary, but also to realize that I didn't have to make anyone wrong. I just simply didn't have to get hooked and defend anything. It's a whole different experience. I don't agree with the opinions just because I, th I find that box of awareness a bit too small for me. But it's his beliefs and I honor that and I would, I would defend his right to believe what he wants to believe and finds valuable in his life till the end because that's what I'm called to do it may not represent me but it represents him but it was, it was quite interesting to watch this being played out and I, you know, the part of me over here is like how, how would somebody come to a memorial service for someone they knew and then walk up to the, the officiant and challenge the proceedings, I just thought it would never occur to me to do that. But I thought, wow, the world is full of amazing, fascinating, entrenched individuals. And, 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 and so how do we manage that? Because we do live in a world where there's, there's such an emphasis on evil. You know, we're all, I mean, the, the economy. I mean, look at the economy. What do you think of it? I'm sure we would have 120 different opinions, 130 different opinions about it. The bottom line is we either believe, we, we either believe, and, and by belief I mean embody, that there's a source of life, there's a source of every, that comes from, everything comes from the source. Everything. Or we don't. We either believe that the price of oil is our source, that the Alberta government is our source, that the Canadian government is our source, that the U.S. government is, influences the Canadian government, the banks are our source, but the source of all life is the infinite. And that's a, that's a hard practice, because when you read the paper and all the influences, you know, we, we, did our, we did our budget meeting this last week, and it's always fascinating, because those opinions bubble up. And I go home, and I'm like, well, what did I just experience? Because our core belief is that God is a source, my, God's life is my life. And the more that I live in close proximity to that, I stand, I can stand in that faith. This, I mean, this teaching, this tradition is ancient, and it works. It works. And, and the only reason it doesn't work is because we stand in the way of it. And we stand in the way of it by our entrenched ways of being. So for it to work in our lives, we have to make room for it to work in our lives. So we have to put down the opinions about I'm right and you're wrong. This obsession or this addiction to being right, to my opinion, and trusting. But it's quite fascinating. And so it's the judgment can be such a trigger for us. And then we get there and then we judge. And you know, it's like people get angry at us. I get news for you. Angry is not the, I was talking to somebody this week. You know, um, one of the great teachers says, you know, anger is not a wall. 
Dr. Ken Gordon said it in uh, New Orleans when he was elected a spiritual leader. He says, if you're mad at somebody, you're mad at yourself. They got nothing to do with it. But boy, that's a hard practice. But if you're angry, it's, it's, it's your creation. And that's, that's, that's hard practice. Most people, so much easier to have. Laura and I were talking about it. So much easier to have the box, isn't it? The problem we got is if we take responsibility, we're responsible for everything. If we got a really tight box that if you just love Jesus enough, you'll get to heaven, and that's easy. Oh, I didn't love Jesus today, but I got tomorrow, I'll get back on to loving Jesus. It's easy to love Jesus. It's hard to love one another. Jesus didn't say, worship me. He said, follow me. But everybody wants to worship him. And if you love him and it's the blood and he sacrificed his life for your sins, I'm like, what? That was 2,000 years ago. I wasn't even around. What sins? It's just, such, it's just such a good boondoggle, activity for the sake of activity. So that we can depreciate ourselves and beat ourselves up and blame ourselves because we were born with original sin. I am flawed in some way. Really? I mean, I have this beautiful little six-week-old granddaughter. And I look at her and I'm like... Now, that is the prettiest thing I've ever seen in my life. It's a meditation. We spent like four or five hours yesterday just passing around, holding her. Everybody's walking around. People are walking around the house, you know. We're all sitting there waiting for her to come by again. And people are, it's a meditation. That's original sin. There's something flawed there. I don't get that. And that was one of the things that, and it was such a blessing in my life because I thought, this is too small of a teaching. And I didn't have to burn the place down to leave. I just got to say no, you know, and, and I get it. I have brothers and sisters that are devoted to that tradition to this day, and they're great people. Man, I grew up with great people, but it wasn't for me. So I'm just saying, but judgment, that mirror of judgment, so I love that, because sometimes I st- see stuff where I really judge. It's not me, but it's the judgment that attaches me to it. So then he gets into the third mirror, which is what we've lost. Let me just check in. So are these people, the questions asked, are these people mirroring what I am or what I judge? Great question. Are they mirroring who I am or what I judge? Because either way, we're going to keep them, we're going to keep them in our experience as long as we have a charge about it. So what he learned in this, before I go on to that third one, is the discernment of truth. The discernment of of trust. The discernment of trust. He said, often we trust others to uh, a greater degree and with more responsibility than they can even trust themselves. That's part of our responsibility. Can someone handle this responsibility that I'm giving them? Because they may not have the capacity for it. Doesn't mean they aren't trying. Doesn't mean they don't want to, but they may be on their their capacity. Because that's another trap we could fall into. Everybody's God. God. God's alive in everyone we teach. But... But there's all these character things that also, wonderful great teacher that I mentor in my life says, the spiritual path requires character. It requires character. And I said, well, how do you develop that? He said, well, do what you say you're going to do. Be a good person. People, someone that people can rely on. Show up on time for a meeting. I mean, those simple things. It's like people come in all the time and they're 10 minutes late for the meeting and they go, my life's a mess. I, I, the money's not coming fast enough. The relationship isn't showing up on time. I said, well, why don't you come to your meeting with me on time for, to start? You want to show up late everywhere you go? What message are you sending to the infinite divine presence within yourself? That everything in my life is late. 
that I don't have any respect for anyone I'm interacting with, so I'll just show up when I can show up. It's like, come on. My, uh, my teacher, Catherine Yates, used to say that all the time. Be on time. You want, your, you want your life and your demonstrations to show up on time? Be on time. That was the last time I was late for class, by the way, when she gave me that talk. Because <laughs> that's what we do. So I could beat myself up and say, you know, I used to be late all the time. You know what? I decided to be on time. I got other more interesting things to do. I might as well be on time so the infinite can show up on time for me. So the mirror of what we have lost, given away, or had taken from us. And, what, and this was really an interesting story, too. He talks about this fellow that he worked with, and everywhere they would go, his co-worker, everywhere they would go, this guy would fall in love with the, the woman that waited on him or whatever it was, but he was always falling in love with women. He'd make eye contact and fall in love. And the, and the funny thing is, the guy was happily married and had a lovely kid, loved them both. And he'd watch this. He's work, still working in the defense department, and he said to him, he said, what's going on here, man? What's up with you? He said, oh, I, I don't know, I just, you know, I just fall in love with these, these women. And he said, well, you're trying to ruin your marriage? No, 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 I would never leave my wife, I love her. But he had this attraction to women all the time that he just couldn't resist. And as he watched the behavior, he realized that what was happening is this, so many times we have to give up parts of ourselves to survive. When we're kids, we have to accommodate those around us. I mean, we have those people that domesticate us and, and lay out the rules as children. And so there's times we don't say things or we don't do things because it'll create more chaos for us. And as we go along, has anybody ever been in a relationship where you have not voiced your opinion or um, uh, asked for your needs to be fulfilled as, uh, because you didn't want to upset somebody? Anybody here? Yeah, thank Deb. And yeah, there we go. Yeah, so what happens each time we do that, we give up a part of ourselves. And so what he was talking about with this guy was this, this man that, that his part of his methodology was to be a serial fall in love with every woman he met was that he was trying to fulfill something he'd lost and given up, trying to capture some of that part of himself that he had to compromise and give up. And it's quite fascinating. But so many of us do that. That's why meditation, you know, meditation is so important Meditation is a healthy way to fill ourselves up, to download healthy energy that we don't get from one another, but the dependency, this energetic dependency that goes on. He talks in, this, in the on chapter, or page 176 in this chapter, he, in his book, The Secrets of the Lost Mode of Prayer, he said the third secret is blessing is the release. When we bless people or things that have hurt us, when we bless people or things that have hurt us, you may want to wait for this till I finish. When we bless people, things that I'm just teasing you. <laughs> That's Valda. I love her dearly. I know where you're going. It's just really short. When we bless people or things that have hurt us, we're temporarily suspending the cycle of pain. I'll, I'll see you right back here. <laughs> we'll be here when you get back. We'll wait here for you. Anyway. So let me read it again. When we bless, this is so counterintuitive, isn't it? When we bless people or things that have hurt us, we're temporarily suspending the cycle of pain. Isn't that, so if somebody's really triggered us, oh my gosh, that dirty, rotten, so-and-so, son of a gun. You know, that guy that would come into our church and say these things and challenge them. Bless them. Because what it does is it pulls us energetically out of that cycle. We break it. And even temporarily we break it and all of a sudden we're, we're not hooked by it. We, might, we could pick it up in a second. But it lessens and lessens. You go, well, look at that. 
You know, one of the things I do all the time is I always have this great capacity, I have a great imagination. But you can imagine like somebody with a Donald Duck head, you know, if you think of someone, you're really challenged. Put, put Mickey Mouse's face on that person and bless him. But it softens it. It just softens it. Because, man, we can be the world's police, the consciousness police. But what happens with this mirror of what has been lost, given away, or, or taken from us, because as children, a lot of stuff gets taken away from us. It's, it's filling that inner self back up. It's not fulfilled in relationship. Just like this guy falling in love, falling in love, falling in love, trying to fill whatever was taken from him. And that, that cannot be filled that way. So we try to reacquire what we feel we needed through relationship with others. So if you catch yourself there, it's just good. It's just, isn't this wonderful to live our lives in wisdom rather than in superstition? Let's just pray harder. Yeah. The fourth one, the mirror of our dark soul of the night. I like I turned that around, dark soul of the night, because the dark night of the soul comes from St. John of the Cross, and it was all about his suffering. But the subtle difference between, see, there's a subtle difference between the dark soul of the night. He talks about Gerald in this. Uh, um, yeah, and we can put the quote up there. It's good. The subtle difference between leaving our jobs, friends, and romances because we are complete and staying with them because of the fear that there is nothing else for us. So are you do, you, do you hang on because you think there might not be something better for you? Or can you live in that trust and faith and that possibility? So he talks about his friend Gerald who gave up. He was traveling and he was traveling around with a co-worker and he fell in love with this co-worker, this beautiful woman. And they, he decided he was in love with her. He was going to leave his wife and his child. And he did. And they moved. And then she was transferred. The woman he fell in love with was transferred to California from Colorado. He asked for a transfer, went out there, and after a while found out that this was not. She was like, the woman was like, nope, this isn't for me. And he was just crushed, and he came in to see Greg Brayton. He was crying, crocodile tears, and how do I get my wife back and my child back? When in fact what had happened was, so he was scrambling around to find a place to stand. That relationship, that relationship with his wife and his child, they'd grown apart. It wasn't about going back to that. And it wasn't also about him fulfilling that by jumping into the next relationship. But, it, but, but it's, it's interesting to, to have the awareness to decide, am I, can I, have I got the healing out of what just happened? Or do I need to fill it with some more distraction to feel fulfilled? Because sometimes we have to have that openness and spaciousness in our lives so that the awarenesses and the newness can show up. But to jump from one to the other... And that's what this, this fellow was modeling. So the, the dark night of the soul is there. Oh, yeah, I marked it here. I wanted to read it to you. It's quite good stuff. The dark night of the soul. Oh, wonderful illustration. He tells a story. He was working in the Defense Department still, and this general came in. Very accomplished military man in the United States. And the CEO he worked for asked him how he got to the position that he had. And he said this, to get where I am today... I had to give myself away to the system. Each time I advanced in rank, I lost another piece of myself in life. And one day I realized that I'd given away so much of myself that there was nothing left. The corporation and military owned me. I let go of things that I loved the most, my wife, children, friends, and health, and I traded those things for power, wealth, and control. It's quite telling, isn't it? The things that we give away. In the dark night of the soul, 
is a time when in your life when you'll be drawn to a situation that represents what for you are your worst fears. A time like this generally comes when you least expect it and usually without warning. And the thing is, I continued, you can only be drawn into this dynamic when your mastery of this life signals that you're ready. And then when it looks like life is perfect, the balance that you've achieved is a signal that you're ready for change. The purpose of the dark night of the soul is for us to experience and heal our own greatest fear. I love that piece. So when we have it and we're in it, it's, not, it's very uncomfortable. It's horrible. And yet what it is, it's calling us into a, a, it's upping our game in the dark night of the soul. The subtle difference between leaving our jobs, friends, and romance is because we're complete. We've received the healing. I like the phrase, I've gotten the healing that it was required for me in that best for me in that or because I was fearful of that there's nothing else out there for me so I stay in the job I stay in the relationship I stay in the career and yet how can something more beautiful and wonderful step up if we're simply protecting the status quo and the fifth one the mirror of our greatest acts of compassion The divine matrix, the deepest healing of our lives, may also become our greatest acts of compassion. And it is the kindness we give ourselves. Because we can be so hard on ourselves. The kindness that we give ourselves. And to have the awareness. See, when we live from awareness and wisdom, we don't have to be so hard on ourselves. We don't have to be so so punitive. The great thing about this all this month is we, each moment, we're sending our messages of emotion, feeling, prayer, and belief to consciousness, which translates the codes of what we send into the daily reality of our bodies, relationships, lives, and world. We're constantly communicating, giving and receiving, constantly. And so how do we change this? How do we change? Key number 20, we must become in our lives the very thing we choose to experience in our world. We must become, as Gandhi said, you must be the change you wish to see in the world. And so seeding new ideas. What ideas are you hanging on to? What am I hanging on to that are not allowing the greater yet to be the greater possibility? We are a community of, of vision. We're a community of talking about planting seeds. of What do we grow from here? I was reminded this week, you know, you used to talk about vision every week and you stopped doing it. And I thought, you're right. Because even I get distracted sometimes. I'm in the process and in, in the muchness of, of the environment. We have this wonderful opportunity together to create something beautiful, something wonderful, something that is life-changing. 30 years of transforming lives. And I can tell you that I hear story after story. People came up to me yesterday, never been here before, said there was such a, a, a vibrancy of spirituality in here. And I said, thank you. We, this is part of what we do in the world. And we represent all traditions. And so it was, it was lovely. I mean, that one guy was just a beautiful teacher in my life, but there were, they were, for the most part, everyone was so happy and it was so appropriate for what Westland represented. They asked me, somebody said, did, did Westland, did you put the banners up for Westland? I said, no, these banners are up every week. This is not unique for us. This is what, these are some of our heroes. And as I told that fellow, we, we also honor all the great avatars and teachers, Jesus Christ, Buddha, all the guys. But we, we celebrate the consciousness so seeding new ideas, as Greg Braden says, it's clear that angry people cannot create a peaceful world. Would anybody disagree with that? You know, dropping more bombs? I mean, I don't know the political solutions, but I know dropping more bombs and having another war is probably not the answer. It doesn't seem to quiet people down, make too many people happy. 
What, happen, what happens if one person decides on a new response to an old and hurtful pattern? I mean, that's the, that's the magic. That's what these avatars did. This is what Jesus modeled. This is what the Buddha modeled. The Dalai Lama said, you know, I almost lost my way one time and I almost started hating the Chinese. But I couldn't go there. So you and I download the software. You and I every day can download this new software. Where do we want to go? And so the more interesting questions is, as, as Mary Manon Morris, he said, what would you truly love to have in your life? How much time do you spend each day thinking about what would you truly love? What would, this, what would my life look like if there was more than enough time and energy and money and beautiful friendships? Whatever, you name it. We are constantly downloading in, in this interchange because this divine matrix can only respond to, to us by what we feed it. So we have this beautiful, use the example of a computer, we get to change the software anytime we choose. What would you truly love? What would you need to change to make what you love your way of life? And for all of us, it's, it's something unique and different. But where are you judging? Where are you bringing people into your life because you're so tr- triggered and hooked by judgment that they just keep coming and coming and coming? And it's like, wow, God, I'm not asking for this. Well, you are energetically. You know, just like Greg Braden, go to your ATM and all the money's gone. This isn't me. I would never steal. No, but you certainly have a lot of judgment around those that do. You know, they're just, just scared. They're lost. They don't, they don't understand the source of life. So this beautiful quote by Brennan Manning, define yourself radically as one beloved by God. This is the true self. Every other identity is illusion. You are the beloved. You are the beloved by God, of God. Rumi wrote about the beloved all the time. You are the beloved. And we have, you know, we've done it, made our feeble attempt of creating these traditions that, we're, that, that can be so precious for us and they can also be the box that, that keeps us from expanding. There are wonderful mystics in every tradition. You know, I'm so grateful I don't have to judge other traditions to be able to say I honor them. And that's a challenge sometimes. It is. And, yet, and then it's a call for me to do my own work. You know, to stand in love despite what's going on, despite the hurts, the disappointments. To just simply all of a sudden realize, okay, do I want more of this in my life? Because if I stay stuck in judging it, it'll be coming around the corner, lickety split. We are energy. It's all energy work. This spiritual thing, this divine matrix, it's energetics at that deep level of being. We, what we receive, that mirror of relationship, our most intimate relationships is what shows up in our life. So you and I get to choose to be the thing, to be the thing we love, to be the thing you love. And spend some time with that. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful opportunity. With we, this community, planting seeds of possibility, this community will go wherever we decide to take it. Whatever intentions we set, and, and what, what that requires then is all of the question I would ask myself, what must I become to help support that? So that once again, this continues as our charter says, a, a beacon of light and a tower of strength and, a, and a, a share of divine wisdom in a beautiful way. So give that some thought. Thank you so much for being part of this community, your love, your consciousness. You are the thing itself. You are the beloved of God. And so it is.